Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I want to inspire them to keep going and make the right decisions in life. And they have to understand we're going to hit our ups and downs. Adversity is what builds us. Wounds build wisdom. Hmm. It's what makes us stronger. I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through. And I'll tell you, people said, do you have any regrets? No. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. The beginning of your career starts with BET, but there's no way that that's no, where... No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Beginning of my career started as a concert violinist. No, see? Okay. Okay, so tell, tell us that story. When I was very young, you know, this gets a little complicated because I moved around so many times and finally settled in a town of Maywood, Illinois. And that's where I really started my music career at the age of nine. Wow. I just fell in love with the violin. It was something that was required by all the students in the District 89 that they had to pick up an instrument, and the violin was my instrument of choice. From the moment I picked it up and started taking lessons and really getting pretty good at it, I knew this is what I really wanted to do, and I call this act one of my life. So I remember being in the eighth grade and standing on the stage playing Boehm's Perpetual Motion and getting a standing ovation. And I knew then, I said, I'm definitely going to perform. I'm going to play in symphonies. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And went on and got into the University of Illinois. 
School of Music and studied there, but also became quite proficient and was part of the Illinois String Research Project. I'm going to try and cut this act one <laughs> a little short here because it's, it's kind of long, but ended up going to Europe and performing and working with the Illinois String Research Project. From that point on, then moved to New Jersey, uh, yeah, to Princeton, New Jersey, and played with the Trenton Symphony. From that point on, we then moved to Washington, D.C., and that's where I started teaching at Sidwell Friends School, only making $7,200 a year, and I said, there is just no way I can continue to do this. So that's really the beginning of my entrepreneurial endeavor. Got it. I had to figure out what we needed to do to make a living. One of the side jobs that I did, I was acting. I was acting in a a play called Ceremonies in Dark Old Men, which went 98 performances. I made four times the amount of money in a month than I did just teaching school. And that's when I kind of got into real estate and started flipping houses But I knew I needed to get up in a certain area of Washington, D.C., where I was going to leave Sidwell and actually start a business in my home. And how old were you at this point? I was in my early 20s. Okay. And are you married? You're single? I was married. Okay. 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 I got married. I won't want anyone to judge me, but it was part of my problem. My junior year in college. Okay. But I did graduate from the University of Illinois and was able to really do well. Yeah. So what had happened when I did get married, I continued to teach. I started a full-time orchestra. It was a 110-piece string orchestra that (laughs) ended up getting to the Middle East. We played um, at the largest cultural festival in the Middle East, and that's called the Giraffe Festival. I started a music conservatory in Amman, Jordan. It still exists wow. for Queen Noor and King Hussein. Also during that time, this was the beginnings of black entertainment television. Mm-hmm. My ex-husband had, was a lobbyist for the National Cable Television Association, went up on the hill to help a guy to start a senior citizen channel. Now, what you have to understand, this was the birth of all cable, okay. from CNN to Nickelodeon, MTV, That's what was happening during that time. But what was lacking, there was no space for the African-American voice. Mm -hmm. So this man who wanted to start the Senior Citizen Channel threw the proposal in the trash. We pulled it out, crossed out Senior, put Black in, and made some other proposal adjustments. Bob took it out to Denver to John Malone, who at that time owned all the cable operations all over the country, He loved the idea and immediately wrote a check for $500,000 to get us started. And wait, did you work in TV? Never. (laughs) So this is another lesson in life. And um, we we sort of did it with BET. But in my third act in life with the um, hospitality business, what you need to do whenever you decide that you're going to get into something you don't know, you want to hire the best people, people that are smarter than you that really understand the business, but also respect you and the vision in which you want to go. Yeah. They can't come in with their own agenda. And that's what's really important. So anyway, we (laughs) blindly started this cable network, hired people that were already in the television business, listened to them. They helped us out. I ended up 
selling my dear violin because we had to pay the rent, you know, oh and the TV my. business, $500,000. Yeah, I was going to say, what year is it? Yeah, it was just a case I sold my violin to get the rent started. Yeah. We were in the American Trial Lawyers building down in Georgetown. I remember that. So that's where we got started. And, you know, the, the company started to grow a little bit. Uh, there were struggles in the beginning as far as advertising, trying to get advertising dollars. No one wanted to invest in a black-owned company. So stupid. And that's what happens, even though we're the largest consumers of product. So that went on for quite a while. So I was teaching to get the bills paid and also working part-time at BET and getting that, you know, our company up. Wow. On the road. From so, from the time you guys got the check to the time that you actually had shows on air, mm-hmm. what how do you remember how long that took? We went uh maybe it was about five years. Okay. And then we had to we went on the air January twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Okay. So five But that was years. just two hours of programming a week. On your own channel or on our own channel. Okay. That was the only thing we could do. And it was really bad programming. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. So from that point on, you know, we started doing some more programming and kind of tipping our toes in the market of, you know, news. But we couldn't get anybody to watch our news. And, you know, advertising is what pays the bills. Yeah. And because of that, we just didn't have the demographics right. What was watching our network was the younger generation is that 16 to 25 year olds. And we just were not hitting the mark on that. So we would dabble in the news area, got rid of that. And then we started doing video soul. The video market was starting to ramp up. MTV would not play any African American videos. That was our opening. Wow. So we had Michael Jackson, Paul McCarthy. They did a beautiful video. And I thought, boy, this is terrific. It's storytelling through music. And this went on for about eight or nine months. And then slowly the video market started exploding. And it just went downhill. Mm. And when I'm saying that, and I don't want people to feel bad or I'm not criticizing rap or any of that. I didn't like the way women were being portrayed in the videos. Yeah. And that's where I took a very hard stance. And I started a show called Teen Summit. And it was shot live on a Saturday at noon. It was on for an hour. I call it my uh, Teen Summit posse of 25 high school students who were just really sharp. And they helped me put programming together. It went on for 11 years. Whoa. I mean, we won every award in the book. I mean, it was very successful. And the premise behind it, it was a magazine format show that really communicated with young people. Mm. And that's why, and it was shot in front of a live studio audience. It went really well. Now, during the Clinton administration, he asked me, President Clinton asked me to see if we could start addressing the teen pregnancy problem. There was an epidemic during those years. Mm. And it was out of control. And so we partnered with Brookings Institute. And we were able to really put together some programming that would address these issues and communicate with young people. 
about sex yeah. and about yeah. sexual prevention yeah, and really educating young parents because, you know, you have kids having kids, mm-hmm. and this is where the breakdown was. And we took the show on the road to Houston where there was just an explosion of teen pregnancy down there. Mm. And so what had happened over the years, we finally saw a decline in the teen pregnancy because we were really putting it out there and opening up the doors. Do you feel like it was happening or did you find out with your research that it was happening because there just wasn't information? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't understand. (laughs) They didn't understand it at all. And I think it was one of our most successful projects that we've ever done. Mm. And so that, that was amazing. But what was also going on at BET, there was really dark sides. As hard as I was working and I was behind the scenes, I really wanted to push my ex-husband forward and to be the face, which he became the face of. But the tragedy in all this, and this is where we learn as women, I was being erased. I was being erased completely out of the picture. There were other women that were becoming involved. Mm. And I use that with a capital E. (laughs) And I realized I was married to a narcissist. And it was a case where I was struggling. My mental health was struggling. As much as I was doing, I was constantly being shamed, put down, and erased. We were the first African-American company to go on the New York Stock Exchange. I was excited about it. I wanted to go to New York to ring the bell. He told me I couldn't go, that I had nothing to do with it. And in the long run, once I finally confronted him about the affairs, Mm -hmm. I was fired from my own company. And I said, you fire me, then it's time to sell. Yeah. It was time for me to get out. Yeah. Because it was going south fast. Yeah. And as people would read in the book, uh, there were a lot of underlying problems that were going on within the company. And I look at that because it was really lack of leadership. Yeah. And the value system had gone to hell. And so when you don't have strong leaders that are going to set an example, that's why we need more and more women. Mm Mm-hmm as CEOs, then things happen. Can I ask, was it something that you always sensed in your partner? Or was it something that as you matured and started to understand that you became aware that these are not, this is not a normal way to behave? Right. I married young. Same. Everybody around me saw the red flags. I denied it. I said, I'm in love. He was charming. You know, he doted on me until we got married. And then everything, all the way up to my wedding night, left me. My mother shows up and she goes, let's get out of here. Wow. I said, but mom, I don't want to. I I love him. I'm sure he'll change. Maybe he's scared. You know, I had every right. excuse in the book. Because we see things not as they are, but as we are. So we, we exactly. make excuses for how we would behave in a situation. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I really thought I could change him. But I didn't know what a narcissist was. Yeah. But my mother did, my teachers around me. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. And what had happened, those people that criticized him, he shut them out of my life. My mother, my teachers, he didn't want me near them because right. they knew the truth. Yeah. They cut off your access to anybody who would speak against them. And so I just threw myself into getting that company started, keeping a roof over our heads, working really hard, teaching 
I was an orchestra conductor. You know, I was able to turn a, a wonderful house in Upper Northwest Washington into my studio. Bought it for, I think I bought it for 115000 was able to flip it for over a half a million. Wow. You know, because I knew the tax laws. I knew I could write off one-third of the house. I was a pretty good entrepreneur. Yeah, I no, it sounds you, like it. I knew what I was doing. The orchestra became very, very famous. It's what paid the bills during the times of getting this startup. But the harder I worked, the more I was being erased. Mm-hmm. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal. Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas? The food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own.
Well, and I think the harder you work, it's almost, to me, I think the same as like if you drink or if you did something to numb, the work becomes like this buffer between it, you and the truth. That's exactly and, it. And, you know, put my head down. I'm just going to get the job. That you would, let's just get to the new year. Let's just get to summer. Let's just... And then you're not really seeing what's really going on. That's right. Yeah. And it's only really in hindsight, I think, that you can see it in a totally different way. Oh, yeah. So as I moved through that darkest part of my life and decided it, the last affair was it. I just, and that's when I confronted him about it, because this was a woman that he was promoting as CEO of the company. Oh, good grief. You know, I I am not (laughs) kidding you. It was the most humiliating thing I'd ever seen because she she hadn't put the work in. I was putting the work in. It was just that she made herself very available to him in many ways. Yeah. (laughs) And it, it just infuriated me. And I even told him then, I said, you're really setting yourself up for something. Mm-hmm. And I said, you just wait till it hits. Yep. So sure enough, that's when I demanded that we sell the company. Yeah. And I remember being in New York City at Times Square and the ticker tape was going around the the LED, whatever it is. The BET had been sold for $3 billion. I said, this is perfect. This is now and I had already filed. So wait, what what year is this, and how old are you at this point? <sighs> this was in 2000, 2002. Okay. And you were how old? Okay. <laughs> Gotta do the <laughs> roughly, math. Roughly, roughly. I just, the, the I likelihood of- I was in my 50s. Okay. Okay. And you, the company you co-founded just sold for $3 billion, billion with yes. a B. Yes. And simultaneously, your personal life is falling apart. It's just falling apart. My mental health had fallen apart. It was amazing. So first of all, I had to get a, I got a really good lawyer and we were able, and this lawyer knew everything. These, everyone knew what was going on except me, Mm. you know, and it was humiliating. It was so much betrayal. Yeah. The Washington Post played into it. Mm -hmm. Every time I'd open the post, the two of them, you know, pictures of them. It was like Washington, D.C. was having a field day with this, you know, and I would go to friends. I was very lonely and I would go to friends and I would say, I've got to get out of this marriage. And they would say, you can't do that. As a black woman, you're the king and queen of media. You can't. I had no support. Not only were they siding with him, they were giving her the okay right. to just keep running around right. with him. Right, right. You know, and I felt at that time that there must be something wrong with me. I couldn't do anything right. Mm. I even got pregnant, lost the baby at birth. Mm. Mm. At and I blamed myself. Oh, my God. Again, I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't do anything to please him. The more I tried, the worse it got. And the other person was prettier, thinner, you know. Right. Smarter, Ivy League background, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you and I went to the same college. Don't even give me that crap. Right. You know. Right. So it it was just like, I felt like I was on an island. Yeah. And this island was going down further and further and further. I had no support whatsoever. It was so ugly. Even the woman's 
child was in the same class as my child. Oh, no. Oh, God. So, I mean, and so I would get calls from the school. What is going on in your family? You know. So it was that kind of thing, but I had no support. Right. And the more I tried to talk to people, they were saying, you're just imagining this. It's not true. Maybe there is something wrong with you. Right. I mean, they played right into the sickness that was going on. Yeah, yeah. And so I was sinking deeper and deeper into depression. And I remember my daughter saying, Mom, you know, most of my life you were depressed. Mm. And that's when it really hit me hard, you know. She said that as an adult to you? Yes. Yeah. I was just surprised. You know, finally she now saying, Mom, you're a badass. Yeah, You're really good. Yeah. Um, But it really hit me hard. It hit me hard. And when I look back at it in retrospect, I'm like, could I have done anything differently other than to get out? It was a timing issue. Mm -hmm. I had to get out when I knew I could get my piece of the pie. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Because there's also a world where you get screwed over in that and, you know, yeah. Now, let me tell you this. (laughs) People, when they read my book, they will see from the very beginning, my father left suddenly. Now, he was one of eight African-American neurosurgeons in the country. I read that. So we were like society, you know. Once he left, her friends were gone. Women back then did not have rights at all. She had no credit card. She didn't have a bank account. Wow. She could not even go after him for child support. What? And people forget that. This younger generation forgets that women had very few rights. It wasn't until Ruth Bader Ginsburg started passing these laws, but then it took years. And even after my divorce, I had to hire a law firm to get my utilities changed in my name, to withdraw money out of my bank account because it was still joint. Yep. And I had to get him off the account. Yep. And that was my money, not yep. his. Yeah. And there's just still too many women out there that feel as though they're nobody without a man. Yes. And that has to stop. Yeah. But these are things that I went through. And my name was on everything. It's just that I had to get his name off. Off. Yeah. And even once I settled and I got my money, I had it in a bank. And I called this bank and I said, look, I need you to teach me how to diversify, invest, and so forth. And I called the top people. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, yes, we'll meet you in New York, blah, blah, blah. I get up there, put put in a conference room. Some young girl comes in, and I mean she was young. She comes floating around. I'll never forget the scene. I don't know how many petticoats she had on at the time. <laughs> and she says, and what can I do for you? I'm like, where are the people that are supposed to be meeting with you? Well, they're held up in another meeting or something. I was so angry. Yeah. I said, do you realize how much money I have Honestly, in your bank? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, we can work that out later. I said, oh, no. Yeah, you're like, I'm I got in the car, and as soon as I got back, I pulled every penny out of that bank. Wow. And I kept getting calls from that bank saying, look, let's rectify this. I said, no. Yeah. You burned your bridge. You did not take me seriously Mm -hmm. as a woman. Mm -hmm. Wow. So this is another thing. We have really got to empower ourselves. We're not taught how to be selfish. We have got to start looking out for ourselves. Yeah. So these are life lessons that I've learned even just through Act Mm 2. So coming out of the BET sale 
And then moving into my next part of my life, I had to get out of Washington. Yeah. And I moved to Virginia, to Middleburg, the Plains, bought a wonderful farm where I could just get away from humanity. I, I just didn't want to be around people at the time. And it looks out onto the Shenandoah Mountains. And I bought this farm from a guy, uh, Bill Ildesacker, who started polo down in Wellington. But he had the name of a farm, which I could not stand. It was either Cotswold or something like that. And I said, no, you're not supposed to change the names of the farms. Oh, it's okay. supposed to be bad luck. <laughs> okay. And I said, but I, I just can't live with this. Yeah. So I said, well, what was the name of the farm before the previous owner? And they said it was called Salamander. Mm. So I met with Bruce Sunland, who was the former owner before Ilda Soccer. And he told me the story of where this name came from. So he was a fighter pilot who was shot down over Nazi-occupied Belgium. His entire unit was captured into a POW camp. He uh, was able to escape, go across Europe, and he settled in allied territory of France and fought briefly for the French resistance. The U.S. came in and said, look, we got to go and rescue your unit out of this POW camp. We're going to give you the code name Salamander. In France, salamanders are revered. King Louis XIV had salamanders all around his moat wow. because he says it protected him. So Bruce Sunland says, why salamander? And they said, well, mythically, it's the only animal that can walk through fire and still come out alive. But if you chop off its limbs, they regenerate. Mm. And I said, I need that. It hit me at a time, just as I was buying this property, of what I was going through, that has become my mantra. Yeah. So anyway, uh, after I met with Bruce Sunland, I said, I really would like to have the salamander. I'm going to brand it. Um, I want it for, my, for the farm. He goes, I'm so happy you're going to turn this farm back to salamander. Yeah. And I said, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew... At this point in my life, and I don't know whether you felt this, that I needed to sit still. My mother says, you just need to stay still, mm. which is not in my vocabulary. No, me either. It's so hard because you're going to have to deal with all the stuff that will come yeah. up. So I had to keep working to work through the pain that I was going through. Yeah. So I moved to this sleepy little town that was totally economically bankrupt. Middleburg became the shishi place because the Kennedys came there. Jackie and Caroline came there to ride, you know, because it's horse country. Yeah. And I settled in there because my daughter was a very incredible equestrian. She was on the Nations Cup team, so forth and so on. And I knew the area from through her competitions, and I knew I just wanted to be out there because she had to keep riding. So anyway, every time I would come into the town, you could see there was no retail, there were no restaurants, but there was a gun shop on the right-hand side. Okay. So I was coming in with a Confederate flag. Oh, God. And I just said, every time I come in there, it bothered me like mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. So one day I called the real estate agent. I said, don't tell them who it is, but I need to buy that building. And they said, why? I said, because I can this is amazing. So I bought the building. We took out the flag. <laughs> he moved somewhere with his guns and everything. I then gutted the place and turned it into a wonderful food market. It's not like a grocery store, but it's like a restaurant, yeah. cafe. Yeah. 
and it's still there. It exists. People come in there. They sit and, you know, they can pick up meals. They have meetings. We do wine tastings because we're in the middle of wine country now. But that was one of the things that I did. The other thing, my kids were at the Hill School, which is a local elementary, goes to eighth grade. They had an incredible arts education teacher there, but he didn't have the facility to put on his shows and his programs. So I built a performing arts center, and it's still used to this day. So those were two of the things that I did. So then a broker came to me and said, Pamela Harriman has passed away. You know, she was our U.S. ambassador to France. She had died at the Ritz in Paris, you know, oh, wow. in the swimming pool, had a heart attack. Oh, my. So then anyway, they said, it's 340 acres. Would you be interested in it? I said, well, let me look at it. They said, well, it borders the town of Middleburg. So I went up to the property. It was all wooded. and But I just, the light bulb went off. I said, here's my third act in life. I'm going to build a resort. So I thought it was going to be a cakewalk. Oh, no. And I <laughs> went out, it came out here to California and met with WATG, the architects. I showed them my vision. We sat for weeks and did this design work. And the focus of this resort was going to be a spa, was a wellness center, mm -hmm. because of what I was going through at the time. And I was going through therapy, a lot of therapy. And I said, this is going to be the answer to my prayers, and this is going to help me. So I had the design all done. I even designed the sheets. I, I did everything. It was therapy for me. Yeah. So I held a kind of a groundbreaking to talk about my vision. People got up there. They grazed through the food. We had celebrities. We had senators, town council people. And they all seemed to be just fine with it, except the next day I got up. I was going to Dulles Airport. There were signs on both sides of the road that said, don't be E.T. Middleburg. There was a group no. hiding behind the conservation. They had gone through the whole process of defeating Disney. Disney wanted to build something in the Manassas Battlefield area. And they, they said they won that. Disney just backed out. So then they came after me. It was the ugliest 10-year fight of my life. It was. It became a racial fight. Yeah, of course it did. And, I mean, you don't say. The and signs a gender don't fight say that if it's Because they racist, came after yeah. me. They said, you as a black woman do not know what you're doing. You don't know anything about the hotel business, right? I mean, it was vicious. They threatened my life. Oh, my God. They threatened my kids' lives. There was interstate mail fraud because there was hate mail going between newspapers. People hopped my fence and with hate mail. So then I said, I've got to get and hire somebody that can really help me fight this. I couldn't do it alone. The other lesson that so many women have got to learn, I hired the wrong people in the beginning. Mm. They went through $12 million of my money trying to in help me. Fees. Yeah. No one didn't even hit legal fees. Oh, no. I had hired them to help me fight this problem. Mm. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market. 
because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash rach thrivemarket.com slash rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It was ugly. They didn't know what I found out later. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just having a party on my money. Yeah. So then I fired them, and that's when they threatened to sue me. I said, bring it on. I said, we will go to court. Yeah. Well, they backed off. So I flew all the way down to Kiowa. You've heard of Kiowa mm-hmm. Island. It's in the Carolinas. Okay. And there was a man, Prem Devadas, who had gone through a similar fight, not what I was going through, but just getting the permitting to build the sanctuary at Kiowa Island. And he became very successful and got a re- great reputation for doing it. So my attorney, who had just bought a place at Kiowa, says, I know just who you need. So I flew down with the plans under my arms, and I met with this man, and I told him everything that was happening. He says, I've been following this story. It had hit the newspapers, everything, what I had been going through. And he says, I'll get back to you. And a few days later, he calls. He says, I'll take the job. Even though, as I said earlier, if you're going to start a company and you know you're going to be vulnerable about doing this, if you don't know anything about it, you hire the best in the business. You want to hire people that are smarter than you. But they have to respect your vision and not come in with their own agenda. Yeah. And this is what's so important. And there was something about him that I knew he wanted to help me. And because of that, in his long-standing relationship of the hotel business, he knew just the other executives that needed to be hired. Those teams of executives are still with me to this day. We have grown this company from one hotel to seven. Wow. We have seven hotels. We're in the Caribbean. We're in Aspen. What, what's, the, what's the hotel called? It's the Salamander Collection. Oh, wow. It's, so we're it keeps in, going, the Salamander. Yeah, it just keeps going. Cool. We're in Charleston, South Carolina, Tampa, Florida, part of the PGA Tour. 
We just bought the mandarin in D.C., and we are turning up. It's now become a salamander. So we're going through renovations there. We're part of the Aspen Institute, Aspen Meadows. We got a huge contract to help renovate that property, and we take over the hospitality. It just goes on and on. We're, we've become very, very successful. Cool. We're in Montego Bay, Jamaica. It's just really been an amazing leap of faith. So did you you build out that 340 acres? Did that actually oh, become a property? Oh, did I ever. We're now <laughs> in our fifth year being a Forbes five-star. Oh, cool. Yes. And it, it's a wellness, like it's a spa. We have a beautiful spa. Our spa is now five stars. Oh, I got to uh, go. No, this is my favorite kind of We have horses place. there. Oh, wow. We do everything. And that's where we do the Middleburg Film Festival, which I... Now, this is an interesting story. So I was on the board of Sundance, and uh, Robert Redford was coming out to the East Coast. He says, I want to see what your vision's like. And he was kind of toying with Sundance Preserve and what he was going to do with it as far as management. I said, well, why don't you come out and see what my vision is? So I took him up onto the hill of where I was going to start construction, and he looks down on the town and he says, you need to put a film festival there. And I said, really? And the more that stayed with me, mm. because what I also realized, I'm building in the middle of nowhere. There were no, there was no housing development. I'm like, where am I going to find employees? Yeah. How am I going to get people out there? Even though I knew I had to do a lot of PR and media. But what was interesting about this is that a film festival was a way of bringing people there. Now, I had been dabbling in documentary films. I had done The Butler with Lee Daniels. I, you know, and I said, Your you know what? Your biography is wild. It's so incredible. So the woman I've been doing the documentaries with, Susan Koch, I approached her and I said, look, I want to start a film festival in Middleburg, Virginia. She says, you're out of your mind. I, she says, where are we going to do it? I said, well, once I get the resort finished, we're going to do it. So I never mentioned it to her again until about August. We opened August 29th of 2013. And I said, we're going to do this film festival. She says, now I know you've lost your mind. I said, you can do it. You're connected in the film business. So she put together a film advisory board that's located here in LA. And she knew a lot of people in the business. And we opened with Nebraska with Bruce Dern and he showed up and we had 18 other films. From that point, it has grown to this year we had 38, last year we had 41. Cool. And these are all films that had that have not been in the theaters yet on the road to the Oscars. Wow. And we were able to get it because of the networking that we have out here. And we have just been able to build the greatest reputation. I mean, it's we've got a partnership with the Motion Picture Association and the State Department. And so we've been able to bring the Ukrainian directors here for this last film festival. Mm. I mean, I'm so excited. I can't wait till the Oscars are announced because I know we have every one of the films. Which films were there this year? We had Rustin, Nyad. Oh, I love Nyad. American Fiction. I want people to really watch out okay. for this. I think it's the best film I've ever seen. Whoa, okay. I'll check yeah, it out. and I mean, I could go on and on. I mean... <laughs> There's just so many great ones. Yeah, I love Jimmy Chin. So yeah. basically anything he does, I'm like, yeah. okay, we got to watch it. And them doing their first scripted film was so cool to see. Right. Now, the other thing is, is we do uh, something called the family reunion. 
And this was a case that during COVID, so many African-American chefs were losing their restaurants, mm-hmm. even Carla Hall. I mean, she said, my restaurant, I had to close it down in Brooklyn. I didn't but know I that. still have to pay rent. So anyway, we yeah. wanted to bring attention to this. And there's a very talented chef, Kwame Anawachi, who has the number one restaurant now in New York at Lincoln Center called Tatiana. Hmm. So he is now my chef. I called him as soon as they threw him out of his space. And I said, you know, Kwame, I want you to come with me. You're going to be part of my salamander team. And from that point on, we decided we were going to start what we called the family reunion. And we bring all of these chefs in, and they cook, and we talk about the issues of Black-owned businesses Mm -hmm. and the lack of trying to get funding from banks. So we bring in the banks. They can talk with them to help them with financing. But it is three days of really exploring the foods from the African diaspora and talking about the issues within the African-American community and the struggles that so many of us are going through. So this is a way, I'm not just having a hotel business, but I'm trying to do even more than that. All the things that I couldn't do at BET, I'm bringing it into the hotel business to really reach out into the community, to really bolster the community, and to really just start something different. I just didn't want just a normal hotel company. But I have to ask, as I'm sitting here and you're telling all of us these incredible visions that you've had Mm -hmm. that you actually pull off. Lots of people can come up with an idea, but very few people execute on that idea the way that you have. Where does that come from? Like for people who are listening, like, oh my God, what a legacy. Like, I wish I could have that kind of career. Are there things that you feel like you are really good at that make those dreams come to fruition? Yeah. I try to do things that no one else is doing. Mm. Okay. Okay. It has to be an original idea. I'm not a copycat person. Mm. Now, people want to copy after me. That's fine. But I want to do things that are unique, that are authentic, that really are going to move the needle and make a social impact. Yeah. And so many people don't understand how to do that. Not only that, I can't do it alone. I have a trustworthy group of people around me. Our film festival is run by three women, Mm -hmm. me, my chief of staff, and our director. We're really four, and Connie White, Susan Koch, Connie White. Connie's responsible for getting movies into all the theaters across the country, but she has now joined up with us, and she's able to identify and goes to all of the festivals to help identify what movies we need to have at our film festival. Um, We got the state of Virginia behind us. I mean, we have been able to really layer and protect ourselves, whether it's a film festival or whether it's the family reunion. We get great sponsors because we're able to really communicate our mission. And I think so many people don't understand. You just can't come up with an idea without understanding how to communicate it, to really state your case, because you can come up with all kinds of ideas. And I have so many people that come to me, well, this is my idea, and I just want to tell them, don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want to burst their bubble. They're going, well, what should I do? I said, well, you got to put together a business proposal, and you've got to, you know, do a feasibility study. Well, how do I do that? I'm like, "Uh, right. 
I don't have the time to sit with you, but you've got to start thinking this out. You know, it's just not an overnight thing and Mm -hmm. think you're going to not make sacrifices. And the other thing is so many women do not understand if they want to start a business, they got to make sure that they have the support of family, all the friends around them, and they've got to be able to make the sacrifices with them. If they're not able to do that, it isn't going to work. That's when marriages fall apart, families fall apart. They have to buy into the vision. What if you have a partner who can't see the vision? Oh, that's that was <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> that's the decision you have to make. Yeah. If, if you're very passionate about where you want to go and what you want to do, the partner may have to step aside. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do you feel sort of a weight or a mantle that you carry as? such a trailblazer for a woman in business, for an African-American woman, for the head of all of these different enterprises, does that feel heavy or do you, you're just like, this is awesome? No, this is awesome. I'm having fun. Cool. You know, and, and with all this, and I will tell you, and I think some women who are able to get rid of the toxicity in their life, that there's more and more doors that open. Mm. So what also happened in my life, which women don't get the chance to, is I became team owners. And this was That's a right. case. WNBA or? I have the WNBA, the NBA, and the NHL. Okay. Okay. And this was a case where another lesson in life, never burn your bridges. Mm. I don't care what you're going through. Okay. Tell us the story. But there was a great man. He's passed away now, Abe Poland, who owned all the teams. He then uh, decided to sell. He was getting older and he had some health issues. He sold the hockey team to Ted Leonsis. Ted then was able to make a deal with with um, Abe that once he passed, he had first right of refusal of the Wizards. Abe came to me because I guess... I, don't, I can't speak for Ted on this one. This part I've never asked him, did he really want to keep the WNBA team? So it was offered to me. So A. Poland says, would you like to buy the WNBA teams, Washington Mystics? And I said, why? He says, why not you? He says, we know each other. I have so much respect for you. And I said, well, let me think about that. But you know what went off in my head? Holy shit. You know, as a woman, I get a foot in the door here. I remember getting in the car. He says, let me know. And he says, this is highly confidential. Of course, I get on the phone. I call my (laughs) lawyer. And I said, Sandy, I said, I've just been offered a basketball team. And he says, Sheila, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. He says, they don't make money. I said, but if you had been offered, what would you do? And he was quiet. I said, you just answered my question. Mm Mm-hmm. I said, I'll be in your office in 15 minutes. I want you to get Ted on the phone because I have a better offer. So we got Ted on the phone, and I said, Ted, I want to buy into, it was called Lincoln Holdings at the time. I want to buy into Lincoln Holdings. I know the history here. And I said, but you can get a twofer, a woman and an African-American. There's nobody else in this country in their leagues that can boast that. Yeah. And he's so cute because I remember we took the Wizards to London and he's on the stage talking about team ownership and I'm in the front row and he says, 
And there's my partner down there. She's African-American and a woman. He was so positive. Oh, this is perfect. Oh, my God. He is just the best. Wow. To let me in there. And he goes, I love the idea. Mm. And so I'm vice chairman of Monumental Sports. And Ted and I, we work very closely together. And, you know, my, my job is to really support women in sports. You know, so ever since then, and once I got rid of all the toxicity in my life, my WNBA team won a national championship. Our hockey team won the Stanley Cup. So we just get the Wizards on board. <laughs> but this has been so much fun. Wow. Are it there, has been a lot of fun. Are there things that you learned at BET and then in the hospitality business, in all of these different businesses that you're like, the thing that you drill into all of your teams or that you bring in that you're like, we have to have this, this, and this because I know those are the keys to success. It's all about leadership mm. and how you're going to communicate your vision of how you want either your company or your team to succeed. And you have to understand, and this is one thing I've learned in sports, if you get one bad egg in the locker room, you're doomed. I don't care if you have the best coach. Yeah, the best basketball operations, you get one bad player that's going to really upset the chemistry. Yeah, and this like happens in business yeah. too. Yep. And as a leader, you've got to be able to make this decision. Do you get rid of that bad egg? Mm -hmm. And I have a formula. I, you know, I give them enough rope till they hang themselves or you hire slowly and fire, fire quickly. Fast. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's what you so do. Real. So there's things that I've learned from BET, and it's really the leadership and the value system that you have got to really establish within your company. If you can't establish that, something's wrong. I want honesty. I want authenticity. I want respect, and I want passion. Mm -hmm. That's how I run my company. And the salamander stands for perseverance, courage, and fortitude. So cool. Yeah. How I, I'm imagining, and I could be making this up, but I'm imagining that your schedule is pretty intense. It is. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself, to be grounded, to be able to thrive in a season where you're just as busy as you were, you know, 20 years ago? Well, first of all, I think what really helps me is every day is different. When yeah. you have the same mundane thing going on every day, that can really beat you down. Mm -hmm. It's like I wake up every morning and I look at my phone and I'm like, okay, my schedule today is I'm going to meet with this person and that person and so forth. And every Monday, my chief of staff and my assistant, we go over my schedule. We look through everything to see what can be eliminated. Mm -hmm. You got to edit. Yeah, you got to edit the foo-foo stuff out, you know. <laughs> Do you really need that? Um, is this person going to change anything in your company? Is it going to help? And so those are things you want to really start prioritizing your days so that they can run smoothly. Also, I have great people working with me. I mean, they're just absolutely the best. My chief of staff has been with me for 20 years. Cool. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. my gosh. 20 years. So cool. She's and how did you back. find her? She was working for an HR company <laughs> that I was going to hire, and then the person just irritated me from the day I'm, <laughs> from the moment I met her. 
And here was this wonderful woman, Jardy Ritz, sitting there. She was pregnant and just the cutest thing. And I just liked the way she handled herself with this woman. And um, I called her that night, and I'll never forget it. And I said, I want to offer you a job. And she goes, I can't leave. I just took this job, and I'm very loyal and everything. I said, I'm making you an offer. <laughs> you can't refuse. You can't refuse. Yeah. And I said, I know you're going to have a baby. You can take off, do whatever you have to do. I'm flexible. I'm in the infancy years of this company. Do whatever you need to do. The best hire I could have made. Mm. I mean, she works like a Trojan. She never says no to me. She works out all of my problems. She's my wall. Yeah. She's got my back. It sounds to me like you have a good eye for talent in people. Do you feel like that's accurate? Yes. Yeah, I have you good can tell. Instincts. You have good instincts. They've gotten sharper as I've yeah. gotten more experience. And it also sounds like you're you're really playing the long game. Mm -hmm. in, in none of these stories have you said, I started this thing and expected three months later no. to see a result. You really are... Do you kind of have a philosophy that it takes as long as it takes or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you want it to be right. Yes. And I watch uh, in the hospitality business, I know that it takes three to five years to start seeing a profit. Now, some people don't have that kind of patience, but you also have to be able to figure out very carefully as you're budgeting everything and making sure you're working within the budget that you're going to be able to survive that three and a five years before. And you can start seeing it starting to turn just before the fifth year starts. And since then, it's been great. Yeah. You know, it's but been But so great. few people will ever get to the five-year mark. Exactly. Yeah. And I know with team ownership, you don't make money until you sell it. But then sometimes, you know, you get investors into the team that help you make a little bit of money. You're able to see some things back. You learn how to um, invest your money wisely. It, it becomes like a, a really funny game, but I still feel that insecurity. And when I found my mother on the floor and not having money, do you know I have like 15 piggy banks? Still. Still with money in them. Oh, man. I got to give it a name. I don't know what this obsession is, but yeah. I know it stems back to the insecurities of not having anything as I was growing up. Yeah, I heard uh, Tyler Perry say this once, if you've ever been hungry, then you'll never be full. Right. And I really resonate with that. Oh, yeah. It's like you think, oh, if I get if I get to here, if I get to there, if I then I'll feel calm. And if I'm not really conscious of it, I'll find myself being like, oh, I have to work harder no, and do more. You can lose everything tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah, that's real. And I can live with that. I can go back to scrubbing floors. <laughs> I can flip pancakes or whatever I have to do. And even in my hotels, when we're super busy, I help bus tables. And they, they go, oh, don't do that. I yeah. said, no, you're overwhelmed. I'm doing it. Yeah. No job is below me. Mm. No job. And then my employees, they look at it. The, they respect me yeah, for that. Yeah, that's rad. And that's what's really important. Every one of my employees, uh, I value them all the way down to the women and men that make up the rooms. Yeah. You know, uh, they so all you, have a name. Yeah. They all have an identity, and I do value them. Do you celebrate your success? Do you feel like you do a good job of, like, celebrating where you're at? 
I've been celebrating birthdays. I'm just glad to still have another birthday. Um, We do. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary for the resort, and we had a big party with all the employees. We celebrate when we get our Forbes Awards, our five-star AAA Awards. Those are successes that everybody can relate to within the company because they all helped me get there. Yeah. You know, and the, and I want to make sure that they're valued. I We celebrate Christmas with them. You know, we do raffles. We give away TV sets. We, we do whatever we can to help our employees feel valued. Can you feel your success? I can feel it. You can feel it. And there's... And there's something I'm still working on. There's times when things don't go quite the way I want them to go. Like I'm trying to do a renovation in D.C. There's things that are beyond my control, yeah. like permitting. Yeah. Yeah. Control you the know, things you can control. And then I have investors yeah. saying, you know, you all have missed your mark here. I'm like, because we're renovating. Right. We don't have a restaurant. Yeah. And it's not my fault. It's the fault of the city not getting my permits to me. <laughs> And that's when I'm like, please don't let me fail. Please don't let me fail. Mm. You know, I I still have that spark in there that I'm like, I feel like a failure because, Mm. and it's not, it's out of my control. Yeah. And I'm learning how to deal with that. That's good. You know, but But everyone has that. Well, to be honest, it might not be the best thing for you emotionally, but it's Probably why you keep having the success that you have, yeah. because that hunger is still in you. Oh, it's you still there. have something to prove. Oh, it's yeah. There. Oh it my is gosh, definitely there. I've been an entrepreneur for twenty years, and one of the things I struggle with the most is resting in any success or feeling it. And I have a very bad habit of like running to the next thing and not even acknowledging what we've done which I feel like is a bad habit. I don't want to It is a bad habit, and I do rest when we do have successes. And, you know, we continue to celebrate that, but then we sit down and challenge ourselves about where do we need to go next. Yeah. We we never take our eye off the ball. Yeah. I loved your advice about original ideas. Oh, yeah. And that you really want to do things that haven't been done. Right. How? Because in a world where we tend to model behavior or we can look at a roadmap of someone else who's done a thing before, how have you had so much success creating things out of thin air? You didn't have a roadmap for BET. You didn't have a roadmap for so many things you've done. So how did you find your way? For some reason, I'm going to go back to the arts. Yeah. Because of my involvement with the arts, I'm able to think out of the box. I'm very creative. I can think of things that no one else is doing. I remember I designed a whole line of scarves because I do a lot of photography. And I love my photography so much. I remember, because my son's a menswear designer, so we're in Italy, and I'm working with his company, and I, they saw my photography, and I said, you know, I want to do something. I want to create scarves or something. And so this one guy, Mirko, says... I know just where to take it. I know, and we will create the plates and everything. And sure enough, I got the scarves. The scarves are selling. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you do that doesn't work? Or are you a bit I of can't. a Midas? I might be. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't take anything for granted. And even designing the sheets for my, you know, 
It's really funny because there's a set of sheets. And if you go to the resort and especially the draperies that are hung behind the beds, this is my photography. Oh, wow. It's been done on Jacquard. I had it done in Italy. But I just love creating. Mm. I love creating. And when you have a creative mind, and a lot of people don't, you can think of things that are just outside the box that aren't being done. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you feel like more people should know who you are? Not necessarily. Yeah. It's not a big concern. (laughs) No. I think one of the reasons, you know, and I get this question, why did I decide to write this book? Because it's so raw and it's out there. And are you comfortable telling your life? At this point in my life, it was out there anyway. Mm. What's in this book is nothing new. (laughs) Everybody else knew about it except me. (laughs) I'm the dummy floating out there. And I'm just saying, I wanted to tell my story. People says. About five years ago, this started. You have got to tell your story. And that's what, because people don't know your story. Mm -hmm. And they said, you have done so much and the wrong people are getting, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason I ask, like, do you feel like more people should know the story or know who you are Mm -hmm. is because there are so many people on the internet who are fake entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. Especially for women. And there are so few role models for anyone to look at and go, oh, that's what it looks like when we see a woman succeed at the highest levels. So for you to exist and for so many female entrepreneurs especially to not know the story, I mean, that's the beauty of the book, right, is that we can go on that journey with you and see what that was like. But I I, just wonder. I think more than anything, they need to find my story. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be out there and be braggadocious or anything like that. Now we were talking about our kids and trying to protect them and everything. There's something I get letters now yeah. from so many people. And this has really touched me. There was a woman who for years and years had blamed her mother for I guess her upbringing or something like that. She decided after she read the book to get on a plane and go reconcile. She sends me this email, and I almost started crying. She says, I think we blame our mothers for not being stronger. I always looked at my mother as being weak, and I asked her why she didn't leave him or why she didn't do a better job at protecting us from his abuse. I'm now understanding that my mother is one of the strongest women that I know. It takes time. My father was a narcissist. And it wasn't until he died in 2019 that I realized the toll of his abuse on my mother's mental health. Our children will eventually understand one day, but that's not our problem. Mm -hmm. It's not our burden. We did the best we could with what we had, and we have to believe we did a fantastic job. And I think that really hit me hard. And the reason why I wanted to write this book was not only for my own healing, but it's also to give women the courage. I want to inspire them to keep going and make the right decisions in life. And they have to understand we're going to hit our ups and downs. Adversity is what builds us. Wounds build wisdom. Hmm. It's what makes us stronger. 
I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through. And I'll tell you, people said, do you have any regrets? No. <laughs> That's how it, it had was to dark. Yeah. I still suffer from post-traumatic stress. Yeah, there is no question about it when you have that much damage done to you mm-hmm. by a person or persons. What was my alternative? Yeah. But to keep moving forward and make things work. Well, you have. (laughs) This has been incredible. This has been a real gift for me. So I'm very grateful for the time. And I know the listeners are going to want to grab the book. They're going to want to learn more about you. So will you tell them where they can find it, where they can find you? If you're on the internet, maybe you're one of those people who gets to have no social media, which is the well, best, no, like we're tell on us Instagram. all the stuff. Okay, great. You can go to Barnes and Noble. You can find me in in the airports, <laughs> Hudson. Um, you can go on Amazon. Uh, any of the bookstores. There are yeah. a lot of bookstores that are carrying the book. Cool. And on Instagram, what's your handle? Yes, official Sheila Johnson. Perfect. This has okay. been a gift. Thank you so oh, much for the time. Thank you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.